Well, loved ones, I now invite you to turn and find in your Bibles a scripture passage that we'll consider today from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. As you make your way there, you can also find it in our bulletins printed for your convenience this morning. Just a refresher is where we are since chapter 4 here in this letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. Paul has been showing us how this, the gospel truth, the reality of what Jesus has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection, how that should take root into our lives, that the gospel is something that should shape everything that we do. Uh, And we looked at last week how the gospel should shape our marriage as the gospel is a model of our marriage, but also the motivating power for our marriage. And here this week in this passage before us, Paul is showing us by the Spirit how the gospel should shape the family, uh, the relationship between parents and their children. And so uh, each week the children should be paying attention and listening to God's word, but perhaps especially this week. And so, children, I, I ask you uh, and call you to pay close attention this morning to God's word, because he addresses you this morning, as well as everyone else. And so, hear now God's holy word. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Well, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. May the Holy Spirit add his blessing to it as we consider it and meditate meditate upon it this morning together. I was thinking about, as I was watching a movie, or a TV show rather, this uh, last week, why is music so impactful in movies and kind of impacts in significant uh, ways our heart as we're watching a movie or a television show? I think it's because we romantically wish that our real life, in a sense, had background music and maybe not actual audible music, but transcendent accompaniment to our ordinary lives, that that there is deep significance and weightiness to everything that we do. Why? Because deep down we all know, I think, you all know that our ordinary moments in life, they really matter. They are more significant than simple random particles in the universe bumping into each other in an infinitesimally microscopic dust nugget in a vast universe of chaotic meaningless. It is far more significant than that. And that's all you're left with if you're believing in a naturalistic worldview. And those who've adopted a purely naturalistic worldview, it's hard to argue, for example, that a human couple having a baby and embracing that baby and taking it into their home to raise that child is more significant than a tiny amoeba reproducing itself. It is really hard to argue that there is actual greater significance of one to the other if you believe that everything is just naturally uh, here in this world with no transcendence, no greater meaning, no God above. 
But of course, we believe and we intuitively all know that all of life matters deeply, even those small moments. Because of this, because this is God's world that we live in, because we are made in his image and because we belong to him by way of covenant, we believe that every ordinary moment in life matters for all of eternity. In a sense, we believe that God's presence accompanies our life, everyday moments with his glory playing in the background like music, so to speak. And when we see that all of life is lived before the face of God, then we see that even the most mundane moments, those ordinary moments, are in fact holy moments before God. Moments like changing diapers or folding clothes or making a meal and sitting down together as a family to share that meal together and talk as a family. These are holy moments because God's presence accompanies us. And that's why we find God's word telling us how we should live in every stage and in every sphere of life. And in our passage today, God is calling us to consider how we ought to live before him in the most important of stages, in the most important of spheres of life, the sphere of the family, and that stage of child-rearing, raising up, bringing up our children in the Lord before him. This is extremely important and significant. Because children of believers belong to the Lord by way of covenant, the Lord our God, he addresses them directly here in this passage to show them what their obligations are, their duties are. And he also commands parents to bring up their children in the Lord. And those will be our three points today. First, that children, you belong to the Lord. You belong to the Lord. And second, you have obligations and duties uh, to the Lord. And parents, you also must bring them up in the way of the Lord. Those will be our three points. So first, children, you belong to the Lord. So kids, listen up. This is especially for you. The first thing I want you to see is that you belong to Jesus. And I know sometimes it feels like you're just tagging along with your parents as they take you to church each Sunday, and you might feel like you're still kind of an outsider looking in, uh, even when you're here sitting among us. But you aren't. You aren't. Uh, God's word says that you belong to Jesus, and that's an amazing and glorious thing. Think about this. When the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this letter, he wrote it to the whole church that was there at Ephesus. And here he stops to pause and directly address the children of the church in Ephesus. And why? Well, it's because the Apostle Paul, he expected that the children of believers would be present in the hearing of God's word and the reading and explanation of the word of God. He expected that the children would be there among the congregation listening in, that they have a part too. And the children of believers have always had a significant part in God's people. And this is in part why we don't send our children to Sunday school during our worship services. Uh, All members of the church are to be present during the worship service, to participate, to learn, to gather, to grow together. And we only make kind of a, a small exception for the youngest of us uh, those little ones that are pretty much still in diapers, that, uh, that are just learning how to sit still. 
but if you are not in diapers, then you should be here. You should be listening. You should be learning along with us because you are members of God's church here in this place. You belong to Jesus. And why? Well, because God, he doesn't ignore you. He doesn't think that you are insignificant. He sees you. He knows you by name. And God wants to talk to you through his word just as much as he wants to talk to your moms and your dads and everyone else that's here present. He wants to talk to you as well. Not only that, but also when you were a little baby here in this church or maybe in another church, you were baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with water poured over you. God placed his name upon you and called you out as one of his own. He has called you one of his children, precious in his sight, important to God, your creator. He loves you and cares for you. You can think about it more in this way, that we know that in the Bible says that God has made you fearfully and wonderfully. He made you in your mommy's tummy when you're a tiny little speck of a fetus, and he grew you and nurtured you and formed you as you are today. And even more than that, he has also made you a member of his big family here on earth, his church. He has made you part of his church, his family. And you are part of God's covenant people. That means that as a member, you have obligations, that God has given you promises, but also he has given you duties and obligations. He expects you to live for his glory and to live in service for others. And so because you belong to God, we read here what that obligation is that he sets before you. And it is this, you're to obey your parents in the Lord. In other words, God is saying, do this for me, obey your parents, because you belong to me. But what exactly are you supposed to do for Jesus? And that leads us to our second point. What are the obligations of children who are in the Lord, who belong to him? Well, children, and also you who are young adults here today, still living at home, well, this is what Jesus wants you to do. Honor your parents. Honor your parents by obeying them. Why? Well, God's word gives us a couple of reasons why here the Apostle Paul states them for us. He says, first of all, because it's the right thing to do. In other words, honor and obey them because God says so. And why is that a good reason? Maybe you think that's not a very good reason. Well, it is a good reason because of who God is. God is wise and he is all good. He is wise. He knows all things and he is good. Everything he does is kind, true, and right. As I tell my son Josiah, uh, he is light, and there is no darkness in him, and therefore whenever God's word tells us to do something, we can trust that he is always leading us into the light for our good and for the good of others. And that means here that honoring and obeying your parents is good for you and good for others, good for the community of the church, good for your parents, and good for society. And to prove this, the Apostle Paul then, he quotes in our passage, the fifth commandment. So of the ten commandments, he quotes the fifth here in verses two through three. And for thousands of years, God has called the children of believers to this. Honor your father and mother, which he says practically means obey them. 
obey them. Think about this, that before God tells us in the Ten Commandments, before he says, don't murder, before he says, don't commit adultery, before he says, don't steal, first, God tells us, obey your parents, honor your mother and your father. You see, the fifth commandment is the first one that is actually concerned with how we relate to other people. The first four are speaking about how we ought to relate to God, and the fifth one is the first one that that breaks out and, and speaks about how we ought to relate horizontally to other people in life. And this means that the commandment to honor and obey your parents is very important to God. One pastor, Vodi Bakum, he says it in this way, the mere position of this commandment among the Ten Commandments shows the importance that the Lord put on the family in the grand scheme of things. This is extremely important. He ordered it first among all those that are related to how we ought to relate to one another. And so the Apostle Paul, he calls your attention here to something else as well. Not only that it is the right thing to do, not only that he commanded this and it's important to him, but also this commandment comes with a promise. A promise. Well, that's interesting. He says if you honor and obey your parents, well, basically and generally, things will go well for you and you will enjoy a long life on earth. Now, how do we understand this? This might be a bit confusing, and in fact, it can get a little complicated even for pastors and theologians to try and explain all the intricacies of what's going on here. But in brief and simply, what this means is that not that God is guaranteeing to you that you will have a happy and long life if you obey your parents, not that, and to that end, we we read even from the 5th century, Uh, a pastor and theologian by the name of Jerome. So 1,500 years ago, this is what one pastor said on this verse. He said, There have been many believers who were obedient to their parents, but nevertheless died young. And there have been many who were impious, it means punks in a sense, toward their parents who have reached an extreme old age. So if it's not a guarantee that you'll have a a good and long life, then, then what does this promise mean? Well, it means this, that generally speaking, children who obey their parents will avoid the trouble that comes to those who are disobedient to their parents. They will avoid the pitfalls of of folly, of disobedience, of not knowing how to submit to authorities. The way this promise works today is similar to the way that the Proverbs in the Old Testament work. If you follow God's wisdom and his ways then generally your life will be better for it. Generally. Not always, but generally this is the case. For example, one proverb, Proverb 11.29, says, The child who brings trouble to his family will be left with nothing but the wind. So if you bring trouble to your family by your disobedience, well, in the end, generally speaking, you'll end up with just the wind. Nothing really to hold on to. And then it continues and says, a fool will be a servant to the wise. And so it is likely that you'll end up uh, being a servant, a lowly person uh, with not, not much in this world if you, if you disobey your parents and act in folly and break away from their wisdom and counsel. Now, how does this work? Well, your parents, think about this, kids. Your, your parents, despite their failures and weaknesses, 
You know that your parents love you more than anybody else in this world. You deep down, you know that. You know that they love you, and you know that they want what is best for you. And so when they tell you to do something, you should trust that they know what is best for you, that they're seeking your best interest. And that right there is the hard part, isn't it? That is the hard part. It's hard to believe that your parents know what is best for you, especially when you really want to do something and they tell you that, no, you can't. No, that is not the right thing for you. And so this week I asked myself, why is it so hard for us as children to obey our parents? And there are a lot of different factors, but one I came up with is this. that The world today, we have to realize this, the world today is telling us a story that is captivating the hearts of our children. You can hear this story and the message of this story in the movies and television shows and on the news. And what this story is and its message is, is this. The world is calling and casting children to be the heroes of the world and telling them that either their parents are kind of dumb victims, ignorant victims in the grand scheme of things, or that their parents are actually the bad guys, the villains in this big story. That is the, the big narrative, the big story that so many people in the world are telling our young generations that are being raised up today that they can literally save society and the planet that is the message i'm sure you've heard that for example think of the pixar movie that came out now many years ago the incredibles the incredibles where the parents what happens their parents are superheroes and they get trapped by the bad guy and the kids need to rise up and save the day or just last year in 2020, there was another movie uh, released by Netflix called We Can Be Heroes. And you can just listen to the description of the movie. This is how Netflix describes the movie. When alien invaders capture Earth's superheroes, their kids must learn to work together to save their parents and the planet. Now, this is a compelling narrative for kids. This is an exciting story to grab onto. Who doesn't want to be the hero? But children, what if the world is wrong in this point? What if the world is like a stranger trying to give you free candy? A stranger trying to give you free candy. What if your parents told you about that? Stay away from that person, because that person might secretly want to kidnap your heart and take you away from your parents. And that is what the world is trying to do, to tear apart families, to rip us apart, and create a distrust in you for your parents, not trusting in their word, not trusting in their wisdom. Don't listen to the world in that narrative. At the same time, let it be said that we, we want you to be heroes of the faith, uh, the Christian faith. We want you to be heroes in God's story. But your parents are not dumb victims. They are not the bad guys. In fact, we are all born with sin, and God has given us our parents to help us because we are born with sin. We need our parents to discipline us, to train us, so that we can little by little fight off that darkness that is inside of our hearts from birth, and so that we can walk more in the light. We need our parents. God has given us our parents for our good. 
to make us more and more uh, like heroes of the faith. And so when you submit your will and desires to your parents, you are in fact submitting to God's way of making you into a better person, a stronger and wiser believer. So children, remember that you belong to the Lord. Remember, remember your baptism, how he has called you out by name. And honor your parents, honor your parents with your words and your actions. With your words and your actions. Obey them because God says this is the right thing to do. And generally speaking, when you obey your parents, you will have a better and longer life. Because God is using your parents to make you stronger and wiser in him. And so with that, we've, we come now to verse 4, which is the parents' obligation to their children to bring them up in the way of the Lord. Our third point, bring them up in the way of the Lord. Now, children, just because we've finished talking directly to you, don't tune out. Pay attention because you should hear what God has to say, not only to you, but also to your parents. He has a word for them. God doesn't just have a word for you. He has a word for all of us. And as, as a covenant family here, the church, if you yourself do not have children, if you're not married and don't have children, well, we still have obligations to one another in our baptisms of children. We all, as a covenant community, make vows to help and assist those parents in the raising up of their children in the Lord. And so we all have obligations to one another, and this speaks to all of us in a way. Let's look at what Paul says here in verse 4 again. He says, Fathers, do not exasperate, or that is frustrate, your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, first of all, notice that this is not advice. You know, new parents, uh, if you remember being a, a fresh new parent, you know, taking your baby home for the first time and then going out in public and meeting people, new parents are used to getting tons of advice from other parents from other people about all kinds of things. And typically, how do we respond to that advice? Well, we're polite and we thank them for their advice, and then we smile and we dismiss it. Why? Because so much of that advice is contradictory. Everyone has a different way and approach of doing all different kinds of things. It's nice and helpful to hear how other people have done it, uh, but ultimately, in a way, uh, we all have to kind of find our own way in those very specific details. But Parents, hear this. In this passage, this is not advice. This is God's will for you in raising up your children as disciples in the Lord. He commands this of you. This is obligatory. This is not optional. This is not just God's will for parenting in general, but this is God's will for raising up our children as disciples of Jesus Christ and members of his church. Because they are in the Lord by way of covenant, we must bring them up in the Lord, uh, in the instruction of the Lord. And so Paul says at the end there, in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, think of this. Paul here, he doesn't say, ensure that your children are trained in the Lord. He doesn't say, see to it that they have a good Christian education. That's not the command. Parents, the command comes to you directly today. The obligation is on you, first and foremost, to teach them the way of the Lord. This means that you cannot simply hand them off to others and think that you have fulfilled this command. You can't hand them off to the church 
or to a Christian school and think that you have done your duty in the sight of God. Paying for their Christian education will probably help, yes. And I think it is a wise option in our cultural moment, which is why in our family we have made that sacrifice financially to invest in our children by sending them to a private Christian school, uh, which is not cheap, but it is a good investment. But that is not the commandment here. The commandment here is God is calling me as a father to instruct and train my children in the knowledge and ways of the Lord. By God's design, the home is the discipleship training ground for our children. We are not called merely to teach them God's truth, ideas, and doctrine, but also right practices, good habits, manners, and virtues in accordance to God in his ways. This means that we need to model the gospel with humility day in and day out, with forgiveness not only spoken about, but actually given to and for one another, and love as much as we make mention of it, actually love them. Our kids need to see that we don't just share with them the gospel message with our lips, but that also our whole life is shaped by the gospel mold. God calls us to train them in right thinking and right living. So what does this look like exactly? Well, I think we could we can meditate on different things, uh, but in particular, the Sermon on the Mount is insightful here as a kind of manual for the habits of discipleship, of teaching others the way of Jesus. And what does Jesus teach us there in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew? Well, he teaches us a lot of things. How to live in this world but not be of it. How to suffer all things, even persecution, with joy in the Lord. How to properly deal with our anger and lust as it arises in our heart. Also, how to honor and uphold the sanctity of marriage, which includes uh, properly distinguishing between the genders today, of course. How to guard our tongue and our eyes from doing or watching evil. How to fast, how to pray, how to love our enemies, how to protect our hearts from greed by learning contentment and generosity. And we can even add more to the list in our current moment in society, how to discern falsehood from truth in this information age when we're just bombarded with so much information, how to prepare for and find a godly spouse and an honorable vocation, and how to engage with entertainment without, being, without idolizing it or being consumed by it. All these things are ways in which we ought to train our children in the Lord. And some of this means, yes, sitting down with our kids and teaching them lessons at the table, right? And it's wise to cultivate a regular practice of this, uh, daily even, uh, sitting together at the dinner table after dinner and, and talking about God's word and, and opening up the catechism and instructing in the, in the ways of the Lord and scripture, etc. But also training them is much more than just teaching doctrine. It's considering how the reality of Christ should change our whole life. We first need to align our own lives with the gospel and then raise our kids in it in a holistic way. That means showing our kids, showing our kids how to live prayerfully, patiently, pensively, and passionately. Not only telling them what to do, but showing them how to do it and then doing it with them. I learned this kind of 
here recently, as I was training and uh, preparing to be a soccer coach for my son with ASO, you have to watch some coaching videos. And one of the phrases that they have is say it, show it, and then do it, right? And that's just wise common sense advice, very helpful. And that applies to training our kids as well, that we ought to say it, yes, teach them, but then show them what that looks like and do it with them. It's kind of like driving, right? If you, you can't just sit your daughter down at the table and teach her how to drive a car uh, from, from a book. You can learn some things from a book, but eventually you have to show her how to do it, right? Uh, then you will park the car, switch seats, and let her drive by herself under your supervision, praying that the Lord keeps you both safe in the process. But none of us would just hand our keys over to our kids and say, okay, have at it. That's extremely dangerous. And often, we often send our kids into the world with mere book knowledge about God and his ways. That is not enough. Real training requires more involvement, more engagement, more investment of our whole lives into our kids So we need to call our children to join us in our spiritual habits and disciplines. That means to invite them to kneel down and pray with us. To read God's word with us and discuss it together. To attend to the communion of saints. To visit the sick and the poor. To use our time wisely together with them. And so let me ask you some questions. Would your kids say that you always prioritize the church over other things on the weekends? And if not, then why are you shocked that they don't want to attend? Would your children say that you value prayer and God's word over the television and over your phone after watching your life? Is that exactly what they would say? Do they see that in you, that value? If not, then don't be surprised when your kids would rather watch TV and play video games than pray or read the Bible. Would your kids say that you are generous towards others who are in need, or would they say that you are stingy with your money? Then why do you expect your kids to treasure the kingdom of God? Your shopping receipts reveal where your treasure is, so don't be surprised when your children treasure the things of the world. They're watching us. This is what I'm getting at. If we really want to see our children follow Christ, we first need to start following Christ more faithfully and more consistently, not just in public, not just on Sunday, but in the small moments of every day, making breakfast, brushing our teeth together at night. We must not teach these things only in the abstract at the same time as mere religious principles or morals. We must teach them to our children as those who belong to Jesus, as heirs of the promises of God and forgiveness of sins. And so we should teach them these things with the assumption that that they have faith already by the Holy Spirit, that he's working within them, that the Holy Spirit is in them, enabling them according to his promises. We must teach them the way of life as those who already have received grace and have been called to live in it, not as those who are trying to earn their way into God's grace, no, but as those who've received it already. Now, how are we to teach and train them? Well, Paul says here also, fathers, do not exasperate your children. You see, we ought to be careful 
that we are not overbearing or unfair in our treatment of our children. We are to follow the example of our perfect Father in heaven who gives us both tender love and hard love. Tender love and hard love, but always love. He always gives us love. So parents, this is not an easy task. This is a weighty responsibility. But let us remember that these children belong ultimately to the Lord. And we are mere agents in the plan and purposes of God. He calls us to bring them up as Christians, but in the end, the power to transform their lives lies with God and his grace, his sovereign grace. And some of the most godly parents, the most loving and intentional parents have in the end seen their children go astray and wander away from the Lord. And so we can lead them to the wellspring of life, and we must. And we can show them how to drink from it by our own example, but ultimately we can't force them to drink from it themselves, which is why we must rely always on God's grace and his promises and earnestly pray that the Holy Spirit will grant them that life and repentance in Christ. And on that point, Paul Tripp, in his book on the 12 principles of parenting, he says this, when you think your job is to change your child and you've been given the power to do it, your parenting will tend to be demanding, aggressive, threatening, and focused on rules and punishments. In this kind of parenting, you are working to make your children into something rather than working to help them see something and seek something. In this form of parenting, it is all about you and your children rather than being an agent of what only God can do in your children. Your hope is that you will exercise the right power at the right time in the right way so to change your child as a result. But that process is profoundly different than working to be a useful tool in the hands of God of his glorious transforming grace who alone is our hope for our children. You see, parents, remember that this task is done is to be done in the Lord as well, which means independence upon his grace. So Christians, children, and parents, grace. God the Father's abundant, steadfast love for us in Christ's grace is ultimately the background music in your life because you belong to Jesus. God's glory is playing in your background as well. Yes, his presence is there over all of creation. But for those who belong to him by faith, we also live and move and have our being bathed in his grace and love for us. Despite our failings, despite our weaknesses, despite our sin, we are constantly bathed in his lavish grace for us in Christ. We are imperfect, rebellious children. All of us have dishonored our parents with our words and actions, even on a daily basis. Well, the Son of God, remember, he came into this world and he honored his Father day in, day out, every moment with perfect obedience. And he did that for you in order to forgive you all your sins and all your waywardness. And we are imperfect parents, inconsistent in our ways and often provoking our children to anger because of our impatience and our selfishness. Well, God the Father, he never changes and he gives us every good and perfect gift for our well-being. And in love, he gave us his one and only son in order to adopt us as his children. And so, loved ones, as you seek to honor the Lord as families, trust and believe that you are in the Lord, bathed in his grace. 
although you can't hear it. Think of this. The music of his grace is playing in the background of your life. So live in dependence upon him and his perfect love for you. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, which brings challenge to each of us where we are in our life. But at the, all, at the same time, it also comforts us deeply as we are reminded again of your great undying love for us in Christ, that despite our failings, despite our weaknesses, you have called us your own. You have secured for us the way. And not only that, you have given us the inheritance as children, having been adopted into your family through Christ, with the precious blood of Christ being the payment for our adoption. And so we thank you that we stand even now before you as righteous in Christ, as heirs, co-heirs with Christ of all the good things to come. And Lord, we ask that by your Spirit, who is the, the pledge, the down payment of our inheritance, that by your Holy Spirit, who dwells within us, that you would continue to shape and fashion us and equip us to obey these commands more and more to your honor and glory. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.